All right. Let me let me get some of you guys. All right, I see a couple out there. You guys want a picture too? Do your best. I'm cool pose. I like that. That's good. Very nice. Very nice. All right. Got you. Here you go, ma'am. Take care of that. I have this stuff here. Excuse me. <clears throat> so it's, uh, it's nice to, to meet you guys this morning. My name is Lifeguard Larry. And, uh, but those that I've had to reach out and touch, they just call me the savior. You know, when they go down and I bring them back up, they just call me the savior. So you feel free, call me whatever you want this morning. I want to thank uh, your pastor, Pastor Vaughn and Mary, for uh, having me here today. I'm honored to, to be with all of you guys. Um, I know that you're in the middle of a series. I think your series is called Vision. Say Vision. Vision. Amen. <clears throat> so, so far, I know that you guys have gone through uh, dreams and visions. You guys have gone through being nearsighted. And then the last one I think you went through was having 20-20 vision or even better. And uh, I know because I've gone through your app, your pastor called me, said, open up the app, listen to the messages so I can get caught up on what you guys are doing. You guys have a wonderful app. So what a blessing that you guys have that. You should use it. This morning, what I'm going to be sharing with you guys is a message entitled Mirages. Say Mirage. Mirage. Uh, what I want you to do as we, as we uh, start this service this morning, if everyone would just close your eyes, right there where you're sitting, close your eyes for a minute. And I want you to think about this church. I want you to think about Christianity. Think about your likes. Think about your dislikes. Think about your ultimate reason for being here in this place this morning. Think about why you come to church week after week month after month, year after year. We're going to pray, Lord, we thank you for church, and we thank you for an opportunity to have a place to come in and out of, Lord. We thank you that you would meet us here, Lord, that we wouldn't come just to gather with each other, but we'd come to meet with you, Lord. We ask that you would help us this morning to have vision, but not just any vision, your vision. The way that you created us to see, the things that you've created us to see, Lord, that's what we want our vision to be here in this place this morning, Lord. We want you to help us to understand what it means to be nearsighted. Help us to understand why we've been given dreams and visions, Lord God. Help us to understand real clarity, real 2020 vision. And this morning, Lord, would you uh, just minister to us in the area of mirages, Lord, that you would have your way that we would leave out of this place, Lord, differently than the way that we walked into this place. We thank you that we can have joy, that we can have fun, that we can uh, do things within your church, Lord, that don't dishonor you, but give you honor and give you joy as well, Lord. So just have your way this morning. We pray all these things in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. So mirages. What is a mirage? The definition says it's an optical illusion caused by an atmospheric condition such as the appearance of water in a desert or on a hot road, and it's caused by the refraction of light from the sky being heated by the air. In essence, it says something that appears real or possible, but is not in fact so. A mirage is something that appears real or seems possible, but in fact, it is not 
actually so, right? It's fake. It's not real. This morning, we're going to be talking about vision and how many of us have visions that are actually mirages, right? We think we've seen something. We think we're going after something. We think we're going to obtain something. But the reality is it's not real and it's not obtainable because it doesn't, it doesn't actually exist, right? It's a mirage. What we're going to be talking about, what we're going to be focusing on is the church. <clears throat> church is not a day at the beach. <laughs> Let me say that one more time. Church is not a day at the beach. We want church to be a day at the beach. <laughs> we want to come in and throw beach balls around and have snacks and sandwiches and coolers and be comfortable, right? Get the best parking spot, get the best spot at the beach, be right next to the lifeguard tower so everybody can find you and be catered to. But that is not what the word of God says the church is supposed to be. It looks possible. We think that that's what we want, but in fact, it can never be so. If we continue to see that mirage and seek after it, we'll go from church to church, we'll go from leader to leader, but we'll never be satisfied. Why? Because we're chasing after something that doesn't exist. When you see on TV, you see in a movie that somebody's walking through a desert, right, and then there's the mirage. They think that there's water. They think they see palm trees. But what happens when they get to that point? It's gone because it doesn't really exist. And a lot of us are doing that in our relationship with church and our relationship with God. We have an idea of what we want. We think we see it over there. We go running towards it. And when we get there, it's not there. And we go somewhere else looking for it. See, the devil has sold us a vision of the church and developed a thirst in us that can never be quenched. We've been talking about dreams, we've been talking about visions, people have been calling, very encouraging what God's been doing over the course of this series, but I'm also realizing that for many of us, the devil sold us a lie. He, to he told you what church is supposed to be, what it's supposed to feel like, that you shouldn't have to give, that you shouldn't have to sacrifice. We bought that lie and that's what we're pursuing, right? And it's created a thirst in us and we say, I can't wait to find that church. I can't wait to find that minister. I can't wait to find that ministry because when I find that, oh, my thirst will be quenched. But it doesn't exist, which means you're always going to be thirsty. In the book of John chapter 4, verse 13, says this, Jesus answered and said to her, whoever drinks of this water will thirst again. But whoever drinks of the water that I shall give him will never thirst if you go after the mirage, if you go after what the enemy told you church to feel like, you should never be convicted, you should never be, uh, feel bad, nobody should ever tell you that's sin and you need to stop. If you go after that, you'll have a sip of what feels like water, but what you'll find is you'll still be thirsty and thirsty and thirsty. But Jesus says, if you drink out of the water that I'll give you, you will never thirst again. It might taste like medicine, <laughs> right? It might not be what you're used to, Desani, Aquafina, Fiji, whatever you drink. Pastor Vaughn told me he only, he only drinks great value water from Walmart. <laughs> but either way, we don't want the mirage. Somebody say amen. So if the mirage is what we need to avoid, then what we need to know is what is the actual truth about the church that we should be seeking after, right? We now can see a little bit about a mirage, and you don't want that. Don't go after that. You're going to be spending your time in the desert still thirsty. But what should you be seeking? A lot of Christians stop at, all right, I know what not to do, but we don't actually move forward in what we should be doing. 
So this morning, what I want to do is I want to shine a little bit of light upon exactly what the Lord has said about you and about me and about the church so that we can focus our lives. So we all just visualize the church, our motivations, our likes, our dislikes. You thought about it. What do you like? What don't you like? Why do you come? What are you trying to accomplish? What direction are you trying to go? I'm glad that you visualize because what I want to do now is I want to burst all those bubbles. All right. If it's not in line with the, what the word says and what God would have us to do, I'm, I'm hoping to burst your visualization bubbles this morning. I want to lay a foundation for what church is not so that those bubbles can be burst. Number one, say number one. one. Church is not a place we come to be filled with as much biblical and spiritual knowledge as possible. That's not what the church is. A lot of people come to church, not just this church, but every church. Think of how many people, thousands and thousands, have walked into church buildings this morning, all over this nation, all over the world, and what are we seeking after? We bring our Bibles, we open our apps, we're looking for knowledge, we're looking for information, we're looking for things to be explained to us, but church is not just a place that we come for somebody or a group of people to pour as much knowledge into our lives as possible. There's a lot of Christians who just want to absorb knowledge, and they believe that if they can just learn enough, if they can just know a little bit more, once they really understand everything that's in the Bible, then their life will be changed, and then they'll be able to bring change into other people's lives. That is not the reality. That's a mirage. It's not that we need to know just a little bit more. It's not that we need to be able to explain every scripture. It's not that we come in here, let's just learn as much as we can learn, right? And in this church especially, this church believes in Bible study. This, this church believes in wrestling with the word of God, staying in your word on the daily basis, right? The Bible says that you need to meditate on the word of God day and night, every single day, no days off. We believe in that here. However, Bible study... Sunday preaching, reading your word every day, right? Having the courses in your app, that is not just for the sake of knowledge, <laughs> right? It's not just so you can say that you've learned some things. In Acts chapter 26, Paul is defending the faith, right? He knows a lot, he's learned a lot, he's studied a lot, God has spoken into his life, he's defending the faith, right? Before uh, uh, King Agrippa and the governor at the time, his name was Festus. Right? And he's about to plead his case to Caesar. He's going to, be, to see Caesar to defend himself. And this is what it says in Acts chapter 26, verse 24 and 25. It says, Now as he thus made his defense, Festus said with a loud voice, Paul, you're beside yourself. Much learning is driving you mad. But he said, I am not mad, most noble Festus, but I speak the words of truth and wisdom. So Festus says to Paul, You've been learning too much. You go every week and you hear the word of God. You go every Wednesday and you, you participate in a Bible study. You've been going in that app and reading those courses and looking at just salvation for almost a month. You've learned too much and it's driving you mad. Paul says, I'm not mad. I know the truth and I can reason with you about what I know, right? He says it's been proven to be true. And how does he know? He says, I'm living it out. I'm not just learning these things. I know it's true, but I'm not just learning and studying. What I'm actually doing is I'm living it out, and it's proven to be true. 
When the Bible says your, your relationship can be restored, it's true. I'm not just learning stuff. I see it. When the Bible says that your kids will serve God because you serve God and lead them the right way, I'm not just spouting off things that I've learned. I'm actually seeing it with the young people. When the Bible says that you can and you should be able to survive and actually thrive on 90% because you tithe, it's not just a thought. I'm watching it happen in my life. Paul says, I'm not mad because I've learned too much. I've learned and I've implemented. See, if all the things you come in here and learn and all the things that you have poured into your life by those who would prepare and study, preach, teach, right, lead Bible studies, take ministries like uh, financial peace, all that kind of stuff that gets poured into your life, right? If it doesn't result in an outpouring in the world that you live in, you misevaluated the purpose of everything that was poured in, right? If everything that you receive when you come into the church, say the church. If everything you receive, if it doesn't result in an outpouring, then what was the point of having it poured in? So we can know stuff? So somebody can ask us, hey, do you know about God? Do you know about the Bible? What does this verse mean? Let me explain that to you so you know. No, we've misevaluated the purpose. What you and I are supposed to be is mad scientists out there in the world trying out the truths that we learned on ourselves, right? When you learn something in here and God teaches you something and the Spirit of God moves and implants something into your heart, you're supposed to be a mad scientist and go out into the world, go back into your home, go back into your relationships and your family and try it out and see if it works. We're not supposed to learn it and then try to apply it to other people's lives. You know what you should really try? I learned this in church and you should do this. No, you should do it. What you should say is, I learned this in church, I applied it into my own life, I found it to be true and faithful, and now I want to help you apply it into your life. We, we like to skip that middle section of applying it into your own life. After you do that, we take it into the world. You take it to your coworkers. You take it to your extended family. You take it to friends. You take it when we go out on Thursday, right, downtown into Farmer's Market to a bunch of people that we don't know. We're not out there to, to share knowledge with them. Paul says, I didn't come in knowledge. I came in power, the power of the Holy Spirit. I'm not just going to tell you some things that I've learned. I'm going to show you some things that have been changed in me. So what is church? It's not just a place to come have a bunch of stuff poured into us. The very first church service, Jesus shows up in the room, right, the disciples have lost him. They think they've lost him because he's been crucified. They gather together like we gathered. We talked about this last week. First day of the week, they're there in the upper room, gathered together, trying to figure out what to do, what direction to go. Bible says, bless you, that Jesus shows up. He says, touch me. I want to be close. Let's be intimate. Touch me. Look at the holes in my hand. Look at the hole in my side. Touch me. Then he says, let's eat. I'm hungry, even though I've been resurrected. So you know when you resurrect, you're going to have a real life. You're not floating in the crowd, or excuse me, in the clouds with uh, harps. That's not, that's not what it's going to be like. Jesus says, touch me. I want to eat with you guys. The Bible says that he opened their understanding to the scriptures. That's what should happen in church, amen? And then he told them that they needed the Holy Spirit. That's what church is like here in the way. Let's be intimate. Let's fellowship and eat with one another, actually be in real relationship. Let's have the scriptures open to us. We are here gathered around the word of God. And then Jesus tells them, you have to have the Holy Spirit or none of this works. But then, everybody say, but then. That's not the end. That's not the end of what the church is supposed to be. In Luke chapter 24, verse 50, it's up for you. This is what it says. After that, after he told them they need the Holy Spirit, ate with them, touched them, let them touch him, opened the scriptures. It says in verse 50, he led them out 
As far as Bethany, he lifted up his hands and blessed them. And it came to pass while he blessed them that he was parted from them and carried up into heaven. So this is the first church service. They came in. Jesus met with them. He taught them. He fellowshiped with them. He blessed them. Then he took them all out of the church. They followed him to a particular point, and he left and said, all right, everything you learned, everything I taught you, my spirit that I filled you with, work it out now, out here, out here in the world, not back in the building I met with you in, outside. I don't know all of you, but you look like good inside church people. You're attentive, you got your notes out, got your app out, got your Bibles out, and that's good, praise God for that, but we need to look like this outside the church. That's what Jesus said. Hey, we did the inside thing. Now I'm going to drag you out and work it out out here. See, the coming in to church and learning was never the end goal for Jesus. Isn't it funny how that's kind of the end goal for us? We just want to make it to church. And we're just hoping that some of our friends and family will start coming to church. That was just the beginning for Jesus and his disciples. That's where it starts is coming in. He says where it really is going to happen is outside. With Jesus, when you read through the scriptures, he did some things in the temple. He did some teaching at the church, but it paled in comparison to how much he did outside in the world impacting people's lives. If we're going to be Christians, we have to be Christ-like. We should do some stuff in the church, but we should be doing more outside the church than we do in it. So number one, the church is not just a place to come and have as much Biblical and spiritual knowledge as possible poured into your lives. Number two, church is also not just a place for you to come and be shepherded by those who love you and you know that they love you. It doesn't matter how awesome your pastor, Pastor Vaughn and Mary are. Church is not just a place where you say, you know what, I'm going to go there and I'm going to be loved and I'm going to be shepherded. They're going to lead me in the right direction, and they're going to help me go where I need to go, and I, I, I'm glad to have somebody who doesn't want anything in return for me, and they just, they're just, thank God for that, so I'm going to go to church. A lot of us don't have that or didn't have that in our lives outside of church, so when we come into a church and we find that, we get attached to it. Somebody say amen. I know that that was a story for me. I had friends. I had family. There was good times, bad times, rocky times, but I never knew anything like coming into a church and having relationships with leaders and pastors and other members of the church who literally just cared for me, just loved me, and just wanted to see me grow with God and grow in my, my, uh, my relationship with then uh, my girlfriend, soon-to-be fiancé and wife, right? It's, it's foreign to many of us when people just love us. But that's not what church is supposed to be about. John the Baptist had disciples, and they loved him. Why? Because he loved them. Jesus was identified. The the story in the Bible says that John's there at the Jordan with his disciples. They're baptizing. Jesus comes down, and John looks and says, Behold, the Lamb of God. And then it says that the heavens open, and God from heaven says, Behold my son, my beloved, my only begotten, in whom I am well pleased. And on that day, it says that John baptized Jesus, right? What an amazing day. Many of us would have loved to have been there, right? The heavens open, and it says, this is the one. This is my son. Behold, right? On the next day, say the next day. On the next day, after that happened, John 1.35 says, Again, the next day, John stood with two of his disciples, looking at Jesus as he walked and said, Behold, the Lamb of God. 
Why are the two disciples still with John instead of walking with Jesus? They just saw the heavens opened. They saw Jesus be baptized. They heard God from heaven say that this is my son. This is the one that you've been waiting for. They saw the spirit descend out of heaven and remain upon Jesus, right? And the next day, they're still walking with John instead of walking with Jesus. Why? Because they love John. Because they have a relationship with John. Because John has been walking with them for months and for years and teaching them and caring for them and feeding them and shepherding them. What a dangerous thing it is to be loved and to be shepherded if those people who love you and shepherd you become a substitute for Jesus in your life. They've got Jesus. He's there. They've seen him. There's no doubt about it that he's real and that he's come and that he's within their midst. He's within reach of them, but they're comfortable and safe with John. Pastors and leaders are just conduits that lead to Christ. You're not supposed to stay there. You know what a conduit is? Like all the electrical right here. There's a power source over there. And then those, those uh, pipes that go up, are, it's called conduit. Within that conduit is where the lines are running that actually have the power and have the uh, electricity running through them that give us this light. What the pastors and leaders are supposed to do is just be a conduit for you to go through to get to the actual source of power. But we want to stay in the conduit. We want to stay with the pastors and leaders instead of actually going to the source of power. The longer that I lead, the longer that I pastor, more clearly and consistently, this is the number one thing that I hear from Jesus. Bring them here to me. He gives me direction. He gives me vision. He tells me what I should be doing and what direction the church should be going. However, more than anything, when I think about you, when I think about you, when I think about anybody in this place and what's going on in your lives, what Jesus says is not fix this, fix that, tell them to do this, tell them to do that, have them read this, start the course. He says, bring them here to me. Bring them here to me. Don't let them get attached to you. Don't let them think that you're the source. You're a conduit. Bring them here to me. I do the real work. You just put Band-Aids on. I heal. Right? You do the easy work. You take off those old glasses that you know don't work, but you can't fix their eyes. You can give them your glasses, right, that might be able to see a little bit better, but if you really want them to be healed, changed, and transformed, bring them here to me. Bring them here to me. It doesn't matter what he's talking about. In the Bible, if it's fish, if it's children, if it's blind people, if it's crippled people, he just says, bring them here to me. No matter what your problem is this morning, no matter what you're struggling with, you have to get to the source if you want to be changed. Have you ever been brought somewhere that you weren't necessarily expecting to go? You know what I mean? Like your friend picks you up and he said you're going to the beach, and he's like, but I got to make a quick stop by the store. Or you remember what it was like when you were young, like our kids who are upstairs right now, and like you get out of school, you're excited to go home, you're going to play video games, or you're going to do whatever you got to do, and then mom's like, oh, we got to stop by the store. And back in the day, it wasn't nearly what it is now. My mom would, would have this giant thing of coupons too, so you knew you were going to be there for like three hours. You were going to be at the register with everybody looking at you, because she was like, hold on, hold on, I got one for that, and then flips through them all. You know that feeling where you go somewhere that you were not expecting to go, you were not planning to go there, you don't really want to go there, but you end up being there because you're not in control? Church needs to have a consistent dose of that, I'm being taken to Christ, even though that's not where I was planning to go. You should come to church expecting to hang out with me and Mary. You should come to church expecting to fellowship with all your friends. 
You should come to church, maybe sometimes expecting it to be a day at the beach. But before you know it, oh, I, I know we said you're going to the beach, but we're going to Jesus's house. We're drop, you ever been dropped off at grandma and grandparents' house when you didn't want to go? Oh, I thought you were going to fix my problems. I thought you were going to do all the counseling. I thought you were going to make all, everything better for us. No, 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 I'm just here to take you to Jesus. He's going to work that out. That's his job. If that's not where we were intending to go, that's where I plan to drop all of you guys off. <laughs> Consistently. I'll set plans with you. Oh, what time are we going to meet? Where are we going to meet? Oh, yeah, I'll be there. Let's do this. And when we get there, hey, uh, uh, Jesus said that he wanted to go ahead and take care of this, so I'm just going to drop you off with him. I'll be praying for you. So number two, church is not just a place to be loved and to be shepherded. Right? It's a place to come and encounter Christ. Number three, church is not just a place we come to become more and more stable in our lives, more and more well put together. I have this sense that a lot of church folks love how God makes us a little bit more stable. How many of you are either there now or you can remember when you first started coming to church and everything was jacked up, everything was tore up, everything was falling apart? You liars. Just me and Vanessa, you guys are lying. Anybody come to God jacked up? Anybody? Praise the Lord. Thank you. And those of you that didn't raise your hand, we're going to pray for you because you're lying. You're in sin right now. I remember coming, and I couldn't do anything right. I was an addict. I was a dropout, right? I was back at home living with my mom. I was getting drunk and high and loaded every single day when I started coming to church. So it would be a, it would be a, a ridiculous lie to say that everything was kind of good in my life. What I do remember, though, is that I'd look up six months later like, dang, God, like you fixed a couple things. <laughs> and then you look up six months later like, man, I'm more stable. There's actually, I'm not overdrawn this month. Wow. I didn't know you could live without overdraft fees. <laughs> All right. And then you look up and you're like, man, you know, she's still around. I didn't run her off yet. Like you see this, you see this stability beginning to be built in your life. And after two years, five years, eight years, ten years, there's this strength in you that you still have problems. Somebody say amen. But you're more stable. Your problems don't throw you so far off like they used to when you were just coming to Christ. You can kind of weather the storm. Like the Bible says, don't build on the sand, build on the rock. Why? Because the storm is coming. The Bible doesn't say if you build on the rock, nothing bad is going to happen to you. It just says when you build on the rock, when the storms come that are coming no matter what, you won't be uh, shipwrecked. You won't be uh, destroyed. So you begin to see that stability. But you know what happens to a lot of Christians? They like that so much that that's all they go after. If I keep going, I'll be more stable. If I keep going, I'll have more finances. If I keep going, my family will stay together. If I keep going, I'll be stable, stable, stable. And you feel like we've arrived. I'm a good, upstanding Christian. I'm there every week. My life is stable, no highs, no lows. I'm just consistent. And I'm going to stay like this until I go into the glory of the Lord into heaven. <laughs> That's not church. Church is not a place where you can say, I got a little bit more stable this week. I got a little bit more stable this week. Those things happen, but those are side effects, not the goal. Somebody say amen. Paul said in Philippians 3.11, not that I have already attained or I'm already perfected, but I press on that I may lay hold of that for which Christ Jesus has also laid hold of me. Brethren, I do not count myself to have apprehended, but one thing I do, forgetting the things that are behind and reaching forward to the things which are ahead, I press toward the goal. 
I haven't arrived, he says. I haven't apprehended. I'm still moving forward. I'm still pressing towards the goal. What is the goal? What is the goal? What are you trying to lay hold of? Paul said, I'm trying to actually lay hold of something, and that something is why Jesus laid hold of me. This morning, I want to ask you, I really want you to think about it. Why did Jesus lay hold of you? Why did he grab you? Why did he find you where he found you? Why did he pull you out of that gutter? Why did he remove all those things and those people out of your life? Why did he tell you, listen, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and I'm laying hold of you? It's because he wants you to lay hold of something. What is that something? Is this it? Did he do all that so you can come in those doors twice a week? Is it the gathering? Is it the teaching? Is it the pastoral guidance and love and relationship? Is it stability in your life? Is that why he laid hold of you? Is that why he came out of heaven and died on the cross, knows you by name and the number of hairs on your head, and saved you so that you can do this every week? I'll be the first to tell you I love doing this every week. <laughs> I love it. I love coming to church. I love remembering what my life was like before church and before all of you guys and knowing how good it is now. I love it. But I also know this. This is not why he saved me. This is not why he laid hold of me so I can go back and tell him, oh, I was there every week. I got stable, Jesus. I was loved, and I loved people. Right? I learned so much. I can't wait to tell you, Jesus. He's like, I know everything. I know everything. What are you going to teach me that I don't already know? So on to the good part. I don't know exactly why God laid hold of each and every one of you specifically. There's a lot of you here. I don't know why he laid hold of you. I don't know why he specifically laid hold of you. I don't know. But I want to share some things that I do know that are common for all of us. Say all of us. All Say me too. me too. All right. So we know who we're talking to. Number one, Jesus has a lot to say about the broken and the poor. Okay? When you read through the scriptures... If you read through the New Testament and you read through the, uh, the Gospels and you read the red letters of Jesus, often what he's talking about is broken and poor people. They're not broken and poor in their physical appearance or in their bank accounts, but they're broken and poor in spirit. Right? He's not talking about, look, if you are literally as broke as broke gets, oh, I got something for you. If you're as poor as poor gets and you're the most poverty person, oh, I got something for you. While that may be true, what he's saying is your spirit, your heart, your soul, the part of you that only you know because it's so deep inside of you, he talks a lot about people who are broken and poor in their spirit. My experience with the people who live in the world and, and walk in the world is that they're ignorant, they're destitute, and they're unwilling to acknowledge that they're naked and poor. Most people I know that are, that are not in relationship with God, they're ignorant. They think they know things, but they're foolish, so they don't know anything. Right? They're destitute. They may look like everything is all together, but they're dying on the inside, and they're decaying. They look like zombies and skeletons. Right? And they're naked, and they're poor. They're exposed. They think nobody sees it, but I can see it clearly. You are exposed. You're jacked up and tore up. And I can say that without feeling bad, because I live most of my life like that. I'm not pointing the finger at those people because they're that way. I'm just telling you like it is. If you're out there in the world, that's what you look like, and that's what you actually are, and that's what many of us used to be. That's what the Bible says. Read Ephesians chapter 2. It says, thus were many of you. 
ignorant. I thought I knew it all. I didn't know anything. <laughs> I thought I could have this facade where it looks like it's, it looks good, looks like it's all put together. No, man, you look like death walking around. I thought a little bit of cologne and some mouthwash would take care of that smell. Everybody knows you're loaded, man. We see your eyes and we smell it on you. There's no cologne that can overcome that, <laughs> right? What I've seen since I've come into the church is a lot of people who are longing for healing and restoration. People come in here, and even if they try to fake it, we know why you're here. The same reason I'm here. Man, I need some healing. I need some restoration. I'm, I'm barely holding it together, and I see it about to fall apart. I don't want to lose all this, Lord. Maybe you can help. Maybe you can heal. Maybe you can restore what's broken in my life. And that's good. Say that's good. That's good. We should come to church. That's good stuff. But... I have not seen nearly enough brokenness and poverty of spirit. People want healing. People want restoration. But people are not coming to the Lord broken and poor. Saying, look, Lord, I don't really have anything to offer you. And when it comes to spiritual things, Lord, I'm in poverty. I don't have anything of value that I could offer to you that you in return can give me healing and restoration. We don't come broken. We don't come in tears. We don't come to the Lord saying, man, I shouldn't even be allowed in your church. I shouldn't even be allowed at your altar, but I'm here. Help me. That's brokenness. That's poverty. And we don't see nearly enough of that in the church. For some reason, believers run from that. We want everybody to look at us like we got it all together. The people in the church and the people outside the church, oh, they got it together. God's moving in their life. God is good. No, no, no. Forget that. Put that facade down. Come in here like you really are. Come to the altar like you really are. Sing these songs like it really is. I've seen the glory that cannot be unseen. Now I know that I'm changed and I'm changing still. We sang that song, but it can't be a facade. You got to say, look, I've seen your glory, God. I know how good you are. I know how real you are. I know what you're capable of, and I cannot unsee it. I can't fake like I don't know who you are and what you're capable of doing. I know that I've been changed, I've been saved, but I'm changing still. I need you. I'm broken. I'm poor. The last thing anybody wants to be seen as is broken and poor. We'll run up credit cards. <laughs> we'll borrow from all kinds of people just to make it look like you're not broken and poor. And we do that in the spirit. Revelation chapter 3, verse 15, God's talking to the church in Laodicea. He says, I know your works. They're neither hot nor cold. I wish you were cold or hot. So then because you're lukewarm, you're neither cold nor hot. I'll vomit you out of my mouth. Because you say I am rich. I have become wealthy. I have need of nothing. I do not know, or excuse me, and you do not know that you are wretched, miserable, poor, blind, and naked. <laughs> That's Jesus talking to the church. He ain't talking to the people in the world. He's talking to the church and he says, listen, you're lukewarm. You come in and out. You ain't hot. You ain't cold. You ain't saying that I'm freezing, Lord, heat me up. You ain't on fire saying, Lord, where can I go next? You're literally lukewarm coming in and out, and you act as if everything is put together and you're so stable. But in reality, you don't even know that you're wretched, miserable, poor, blind, and naked. I thought we were having a day at the beach. I thought we came to just be lifted up. I thought we came to, for somebody to say, oh, God's got a blessing for you. Oh, it's all going to work out. You don't even have to do it. Just show up. Bring your cooler. 
Bring your towel. Bring your umbrella just in case the sun, the sun is shining a little bit too bright. Go ahead, bring your umbrella. Jesus says, no, I'm talking to my church. You're wretched, miserable, poor, blind, and naked. We got to stop hiding from that. Got to stop hiding from that. Brokenness and poverty is not cultural. It's not connected with certain races or geographical communities. I got a little frustrated yesterday. I'm not going to go on too much of a tantrum, but um, there was a shooting, um, a murder actually, right here in Brea yesterday at Target in the morning. And uh, so later on in the evening, I, I saw somebody posted about it because one of my friends, his wife actually works there, and she was the first one on the scene. They're Christians and they're pastors. And um, so she came running out of, out of work into the parking lot, found the young man, and uh, uh, what they wrote is that she was with him when he took his last breath. Right? So very dramatic, very uh, unfortunate situation. And so I'm reading through what's out there right now as far as information on, on what happened, and somebody posted on their comment thread, uh, this is all Obama's fault with allowing minorities to move into white communities. <laughs> so I don't really get too upset about nonsense because I know that it's just nonsense that people are going to say stuff that is ignorant and unfounded, unwarranted. But when I read it, it got me really angry because there's no information about what happened, who did it. What do you mean that, that it's because somebody like the president allowed people to move? Like, you have no idea what it means to be broken, poor, wretched, and miserable. You have no idea what it means to be far from God. It doesn't matter who you are, where you've been born, what color you are, what race you are, what nationality you are. We can all be broken, poor, naked, and blind if we're far from God. And you've completely missed it. So I was kind of angry. I wanted to track him down. I know he's somewhere in Brea. But I stopped, I said, that's why I asked uh, lifeguard Larry to preach today. I don't know where PV is. He might be out there <laughs> looking for him. But brokenness, say brokenness. Brokenness is the human condition apart from Christ. That's what it means to be broken. If you're far from Christ, if you're separated from him at all, you are broken and you are poor. Even as Christians, we can be broken and poor because we don't always walk hand in hand with him. We don't always allow, allow his spirit to just really live inside of us and to direct us and to move us and to guide us. There's areas of our brokenness and of our poverty that God has come in and addressed, right? Right in the beginning, we were far from God and we were unsaved, but when you give your life to Jesus, bam, you're close with the Father, Right? That separation, that brokenness, it's removed. Jesus builds this bridge for you and I to come into relationship with the Father, and that's healed. But there's other areas of our brokenness and our poverty that Jesus is going to spend the rest of your life here on earth dealing with. If you don't come into church every week saying, thank you, Jesus, for what was broken and impoverished that you healed, right, and that you gave me some wealth in those areas, but I'm coming to meet with you again because I know I'm still broken and poor in other areas. That's how we need to come to church. Psalm 51:17 says it like this. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit and a broken and contrite heart. You want to know what God wants from you? It's not your 10%. It's not your ministry. It's not your faithful, consistent attendance at church. 
51.17, what he wants, the sacrifices that God wants, a broken spirit and a contrite heart. The way you get broken and contrite before God is to know him and to know how holy and how amazing he is. And it makes you feel broken and poor to be in his presence. There's no way you could come proudly and well put together before the Holy One. If you're proud and well put together, you must not be before the Holy One. Because you could never feel that way if you were. Isaiah 66.1 says it like this. Thus says the Lord, heaven is my throne, earth is my footstool. Where's the house that you'll build for me? Why should I be so impressed with the way? Heaven's my throne, the earth is my footstool. You guys built a little church in a warehouse in the back of Brea and I'm supposed to jump for joy? <laughs> where's the house that you're going to build for me and where's the place that I can rest? For all those things, my hand is made. That drywall, you use my materials for it. These poles that are holding everything up, that's material that I put in the earth for you. The ground that's stable, it's because I make it stable. And you are proud about the church you built? He says, all those things my hand made and all those things exist, says the Lord, but on this one will I look, on him who is poor and of a contrite spirit. I ain't worried about your church. I don't care if it's a mega church. I don't, I don't care if it's a house church. I don't care if it's somewhere in the middle. I don't care how it looks. I don't care about any of that. What I'm looking for is individual people who are broken and poor before me. I don't look down from heaven to, to pick which church I like the best, he says. I'm looking for people who will come to me and say, I'm broken. When we first come to Christ, we acknowledge it. I'm broken, I'm poor, help me, I'm in poverty. He restores us, right? He, he's unlimited in wealth and he blesses us. But here's the challenge that I've been working towards this morning. Are you still broken and poor and of a contrite heart? Are you still? If you came that way, if you were introduced to God that way, are you still broken? Are you still poor? Do you still come to him like, man, I'm jacked up? Jesus said to the woman caught in adultery, John 8, 10, Woman, where are those accusers of yours? Has no one condemned you? She said, no one, Lord. Jesus said to her, neither do I condemn you. Go and sin no more. You were in sin. I found you in sin. They found you in sin. But because of me standing in the gap for you, defending you, where are your accusers? They're gone. Nobody can face you and your holiness, so they had to leave. He says, I don't accuse you either. Just go and, and stop sinning. Stop living like this. I forgive you. The man that he healed at the pool of Bethesda, John 5, 14, Jesus found him in the temple and said to him, see, you've been made well. Sin no more. You got saved. You got healed. You got restored. You're going to church. Jesus still comes and says, stop sinning, though. Go and sin no more. Here's the picture. Jesus has a first initial touch with all of us. He starts restoring our lives, and then he releases us and tells us, go in peace and sin no more, right? I'm glad you came. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to build you up. I'm going to restore you. I'm going to heal you. But at some point, he says, all right, now just go live. Live right. Stop sinning. Live for me. Be a light. Be changed. Be transformed. But how do we do that? Say church. What we usually do is we say, okay, I'm going to start going to church. And if I do that every week, it's going to help me live right. It's going to help me stop sinning. And I'm going to, you know, it's going to be good. And we actually see that begin to happen in many of our lives. Here's the problem. What we end up doing 
is we make church or going to church the goal instead of realizing that coming to Christ is still the goal. I'm going to come to church. That's my goal. When pastor texts me, it's because I didn't go to church. (laughs) When Mary calls me, it's because they haven't seen me going to church. I know that's what I need to do, so that's my goal. I'm going to go to church. I'm going to go to church. When we text you, when we call you, when we say we haven't seen you at church, it's not because we want you in that seat, giving you a few dollars, warming that seat. It's because we want to make sure that you're coming to Christ still. Keep coming to Christ. The work is not done. Keep showing up. Keep seeking after him. We've made coming to Christ a one-time thing and coming to church the continual goal of Christianity. Think about that. Ask people what they do. Do they say, oh, I'm going, to, I'm going to meet with the Lord. I'm going to encounter Christ. Or do they say, I'm going to church? Going to church has become the goal instead of continuing to come to Christ. When I come into this building, I love you guys. But if I was just here to meet with you guys every week, I would have stopped coming a long time ago. <laughs> we can hang out some other time. We had a couple's night out at Dave and Buster's. We can do that every week. I come into this place to encounter Christ. In a special way. I get to encounter him on my own and at home and in prayer, all that kind of stuff. But there's something special about encountering him like this with you guys. Healings and blessings, they're amazing. But what they're supposed to do is show us how many other areas still need to be healed and blessed. That make sense? You come to Christ... Raise your hand if he's touched some area of your life, if he's healed some area of your life. Amen? So we should always keep that at the forefront of our mind. But what we should be doing is saying, if he did that in that area, what other area does he still need to do it in? Right? A good church, or what we know as a good church, can sometimes circumvent that process. Let me tell you what I mean. We see people added to this church right now on a weekly basis. We hear testimonies about people getting saved, people getting healed all the time. And you know what we end up doing? We rally around all that good stuff that's happening. Oh, did you see so-and-so got saved? Did you see that new family at church today? Did you hear that so-and-so got released from that bad relationship that they were in? Do you see what God's doing? So-and-so got a job. And we just, every week, we rally around that. You see what God's doing? You see what God's doing? You see what God's doing? And then you know what we do? We ignore what he hasn't done yet. Oh, you got that problem? Don't worry about it. Just look at how good things are for them over there. (laughs) Oh, you got that issue? Don't worry about that issue. Just focus on the good things that God has done in your life. When a church is, is alive and growing and God is moving, it's easy to rally around all those good things and stop focusing on the bad areas that still need to be healed. I don't want to do that in this church because then it becomes a day at the beach. What can we enjoy at church today? What can we lift up that's good, that we can glorify God for its goodness, but at the same time ignore the things that still need to be worked on? We end up with a beautiful church full of uh, God's hand on people, but we end up like Israel wandering around in the wilderness and never entering the promised land. They lived in tents. They were still God's people, and God had moved mightily in their lives. He parted the Red Sea. He defended them against armies, but they never made it into the promised land, and they stayed in tents, and the tabernacle was a tent. If we do the same thing where we just honor him for what he's done and the good things that he does initially in people's lives, but we don't ever keep growing and keep coming to Christ, that'll be the way. A good church in the wilderness, just a tent. I think God has more for us. Somebody say amen. I'm going to close. 
Church is about the broken, it's about the poor, and it's about the kingdom. Matthew 5.1 says, Seeing the multitudes, he went up on a mountain, and when he was seated, his disciples came to him. Then he opened his mouth and taught them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Jesus is concerned with us being poor, us being broken, us know that we need him, and then he's concerned with focusing us on the kingdom. He loves you, and he's going to bless your life. My life, most people I know who have come to Jesus, their physical life has gotten better. Somebody say amen. But he's not ultimately concerned with that. He's like, look, even if I allow your life to suck like Job's did, don't worry. I'm going to bring you to the kingdom. Nobody likes that. Nobody's like, everybody's like, I want to be like Peter. I want to be like David. I'm going to be like Esther. Nobody's like, oh, Job, man, that's the one for me. (laughs) Take it all, Jesus. Tear me up. (laughs) He's focused on the kingdom, though. Next time somebody asks you to close your eyes, think about the church, why you come, I pray that at least one of the thoughts that come into your mind is the kingdom of heaven. I come here because it attaches me to the kingdom of heaven that I'm pursuing and that I'm going to. That's what Jesus preached about. I'm going to close with these scriptures from Matthew, things that Jesus said about the kingdom. In three years, this is what he said. The kingdom of heaven is like a man who sowed good seed in his field. The kingdom of heaven is like a mustard seed which a man took and sowed in his field. The kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field which a man found, he hid, and for joy over it, he went and sold everything that he had so he could buy the field. The kingdom of heaven is like a merchant seeking beautiful pearls. The kingdom of heaven is like a dragnet that was cast into the sea and it gathered some of every kind. Say every kind. He says, unless you are converted and become as little children, you will by no means enter the kingdom of heaven. Jesus says, the kingdom of heaven is like a certain king who wanted to settle accounts with all his servants. He says, it's hard for a rich man to enter the kingdom of heaven. Jesus says, the kingdom of heaven is like a landowner who went out early in the morning to hire laborers for his vineyard. The kingdom of heaven is like a certain king who arranged a marriage for his son. The kingdom of heaven shall be likened to ten virgins who took their lamps and went out to meet the bridegroom. And the last one, the kingdom of heaven is like a man traveling to a far country who called his own servants and delivered his goods to them. Jesus is trying to focus us on what's ahead, what it takes to be part of that kingdom, the planting, the sowing, the preparing, right? In Acts chapter 3 verse 1, it says this, After Jesus had his ministry, after he was crucified and he raised from the dead, it says, Acts 3.1, he presented himself alive after his suffering by many infallible proofs, being seen by them during 40 days and speaking of the things pertaining to the kingdom of God. That's all Jesus talked about was the kingdom. He was talking to poor people and broken people. Even when he died and resurrected and came back, all he wanted to tell people about was the kingdom that's ahead, the kingdom that's ahead. If you live for this world, this is all you'll get, and eventually you'll lose it. If you live for the next world, you'll get both. I heard Raymond preach that. I listened in the app because I wasn't here. So this is it. Be poor, be broken, and focus on entering into the kingdom. Matthew eleven twelve, 12, 
From the days of John the Baptist until now, the kingdom suffers violence and the violent take it by force. What that means is this. There are people who are so broken and so poor, when they find out that there's a rich king who wants them to come in, they will bust the doors down to get in. So I want to warn this church, because I believe this church is growing. I believe God is doing a lot of things in this church. But I want to warn you, if you think it's a day at the beach, that is a mirage. And what I believe God is going to do and continue to do is this. Violent people are going to come in here and take the kingdom by force. If you come for a day at the beach, be prepared for somebody to knock your little uh, umbrella down, to take your towel out from under you and shake it off and say, what? You've got peace in this place? You've got hope in this place? You've got restoration in this place? You've got a wealthy king in this place? And you want to have a day at the beach? I will take it by force because I'm poor and I'm broken and I need him. The people who know they're poor and know they're broken and know that they need Jesus, they will take him by force when they find out he's available, especially from people who are playing with him. That's what happened when you read the scriptures to the children of Israel. They had the king. They were God's chosen people. And the only reason the Gentiles were let in, why? Is because they began to take God lightly and treat it like a day at the beach of going in and out of church. And then the Gentiles find out, what? Read the stories about Jesus. How many non-believers or non-Jewish people would come to him? I want the crumbs off your table. Heal my son. Heal my unbelief. Right? They would come to him that way because they were hungry and they were violently taking what was already set aside for other people. I'm telling you this morning, church, you have something at your fingertips, and it's from God, and it's good, but you have to be broken and poor in order to receive it. And if we play with it like it's a day at the beach, when prostitutes come in here, when adulterers come in here, when addicts come in here, right, when liars and cheaters come in here, you know what you're going to do? You're going to get offended and say, this ain't that kind of church. And you're going to say, what are you doing in my seat? And you're going to say, hey, that's not why I come here. I come here to be stable. <laughs> Don't we have an overflow room for them, Pastor? And the violent are going to take it by force. You might as well get violent right now yourself and take what God has for you. Somebody say amen. 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 Stand with me. Stand with me, church. Worship team, could you come? <clears throat> the church that the... The devil has tried to sell us on is a mirage. <laughs> Believe me, you do not want your church to be a day at the beach. You want the church to fellowship at the beach. You want the church to go there and do baptisms, but you do not want your church to be a day at the beach. That's a mirage. So we're going to pray. <clears throat> we're going to pray that. Uh, why don't you bow your heads with me? Close your eyes. Begin to think about God now. We thought about the church and we thought about why we come. Now I'd like you to think about the one we come to. What does he want this morning? Does he want you to hear? Does he want you to learn? Does he want you to get a little bit more stable? Right? Does he want you to feel the love of pastors and